0: Hi, good afternoon, and happy Saturday. This is Adelita Grijalva, and we were doing these platicas, just talking throughout the campaign on issues related to voting and voter registration and barriers that people see in voting. We talked about USPS, and so since we're transitioning into um holding the office as a supervisor. And thank you all again um, for all of your support. We really wanted to continue these platicas and talk about what the big issue is right now. And quite frankly, it's COVID-19 and our community and how it's affecting our community. Um, I was on a call the other day with um, some people from the um, TMC, Banner, Pima County Health Department, and the rates of positivity are essentially one in four. So of of the four tests that are being taken, one person is positive. And a lot of people don't even realize that they have it. And so I think that it's important for us to have a conversation, continue to talk about it because as much as, you know, the Pima County Health Department has their, has all of their 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 press conferences, that kind of thing. And thank you, Dr. Cullen, for joining us. I was just talking about you. Um, you know, we want as a community to continue to provide opportunities for people to access information. And so joining me today, I'm so very thankful, is Dr. Cullen from the Pima County Health Department and Gloria Hamlets, um, longtime director of the John Valenzuela Youth Center. And I feel like we've been doing the same kind of work for over 20 years. So I'm very appreciative. I'm gonna introduce a little bit about each of you specifically, because I think that it's important that people um, appreciate that you bring a lot of expertise to the situation. And what we really wanna talk about is our healthcare system being under heavy stress and is near a breaking point. If we don't come together to stop the spread of COVID-19 in Pima County, the results will be detrimental to the fabric of our community. Our emergency departments and hospitals are full and they're facing shortages of staff and critical supplies and our hospitals are under great stress and so um joining me today is gloria hamis lopez um she's been a program director for the south tucson john venezuela youth center for 20 years she's developed the center's high quality standards of care and programs for young people including my own children um she's opened Mm her doors in the past year to fill the void when it comes to education in south tucson by being a hub for a lot of community members and thank you so much for that, Gloria, and she's a tireless advocate for young people and families in her community, and particularly the ones who have no other advocates. And then Dr. Teresa Cullen is um, the head of the Pima County Health Department, in addition to several other medical and public health roles, such as former assistant US Surgeon General. Um, C- Dr. Cullen is retired from the US Public Health Service and is also an admirable admiral. So she could either be doctor or admiral, depending on what um, title we want to use and um, she has, she's a graduate of the University of Arizona College of Medicine, so she is a local from here, and, and we are really very appreciative of both of you and the time. And so I just wanted to ask um, Dr. Cullen, what is the state of COVID and the spread of COVID in our community, and what can our community members do to um, help curb the spread? Oops, I can't hear you very well. Is
1: that better now?
0: a little bit yeah if you can talk louder that probably will do it
1: okay. okay um so currently covid is in what we would call a state of accelerated transmission in the community uh, that's typical to a lot of communities right now in the United States, but you may be aware that as of yesterday, Arizona had the highest accelerated transmission in the country, very similar to what we had in June or July. So we track COVID through a couple different metrics. One metric is the number of cases we have per 100,000. You can estimate that the county has about a million people. Right now, we're over. Um, 500 cases per 100,000 per week. That's a weekly measure. We also look at positivity, which is the percentage of tests that are positive. You've heard lots of chatter about this. Oh, well, that reflects the number of tests. Actually, in our case, because the number of tests we have, uh, if anything, is increasing when our positivity rate goes up, it means we have increased positivity, increased number of. Cases in the county, and that is what we are seeing with that. Our third disease metric that is actually, in some ways, the most concerning because this has never hit red before is what we call our COVID like illness rate. That's the number of cases that are COVID or COVID like based on what is presented to our emergency room. That is 13% right now. Up till last week, we were always less than 10 percent. We expect that that rate will stay high. So that kind of gives you just an overall really quick look into what we're seeing. The cases are all over. It's a scattergram. There is not just one part of the community that is being, uh, that is seeing accelerated transmission. So what that means is that we believe that the community itself, the entire county, has to be engaged in any what we call layered mitigation. Layered mitigation are the things we ask you to do to try to halt the disease. Um, and let me just briefly talk about the hospital system. Yesterday we did a press conference with some of the hospitals as well as pre-hospital. There was your EMS and fire department and police department. Anybody that's in the community. Um, coupled with the the Public Health Department. And we did that because we released a letter. This letter was actually a plea. It was a plea to the community to ask them to cooperate with what we have recommended, and we can talk about that later. But the reason why we did that was because the hospitals are at a capacity. Yesterday, our ICUs were at 98.5% capacity there were less than two ICU beds at any one time. Mm-hmm. The medical surge beds were at about 97% capacity. You may be aware that other counties and other states have made decisions to do uh, more stringent interventions when they are, have less than 15% capacity and we have less than single patient. capacity. With that off, stop, because I can
0: go on for a while. Well, those are um, and those are some very sobering numbers, and I know that it's um pretty scary out there. And so, Gloria, I know that um, you mentioned before that you'd contracted COVID. Can you talk about if if you know how you contracted it, because sometimes people don't know, and and how what the experience was like having COVID, and then how are you feeling right now?
2: Sure. Well, first of all, I just want to say thank you for inviting me to the Platicas, and thank you. I, I'm going to use admirable, Dr. Dolan, because Hi. we are grateful for your leadership in this county. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I we've been working um, at our youth center since school ended. Um, once the governor shut down the schools, we clearly recognized the need for children to have a safe place to be during the day. So we opened our doors immediately. Um, Because I work with a low-income population, I knew how vulnerable they were going to be should they ever get sick. So I devoured every piece of literature I could find on how to protect our children, how to protect ourselves, how to protect our community and our families. Um, We built a really strong policy and procedure manual with our agency, and we just continue to do our best to keep everyone as safe as possible. Um, When the mask mandate started for Pima County, we were happy to comply (laughs) with that mask mandate to keep everyone safe um, as time continued. In about early June, we had one health scare. My husband had some congestion, but no other symptoms, no fever, nothing. In early June, the testing was still not readily available. Um, He had to have a doctor's note to get tested, but as soon as he got tested, we all went on quarantine. Um, thankfully he was he came out negative and we were able to continue to go about our daily business. But for me it was a it was a big enough scare that I needed to continue to push more and more cleaning, more and more social distancing. Um, we needed to make bigger impacts with our community. Um, because our center serves children all day, I also knew that we had a lot of parents that were out there working that were essential workers, and we had to do a lot of education for our families as well too. Um, Personally, in about July, when when the second spike hit, um, several of my family members in Phoenix were hit really hard with COVID. And unfortunately, one of my um, primos, my cousin, my compadre, Margarito Castro, he succumbed to, to his illness and passed away. And for us personally, that was really difficult. You know, we wanted to be there for our family. We wanted to be there to comfort them. And knowing how high the rates were, we just, We couldn't do it. So, emotionally, that became really difficult for us. Um, In about August, um, my husband started again with some congestion. Um, You know, I didn't think too much about it this time. I thought, oh, he had it before. Um, It was negative. He didn't have fevers. Nobody was feeling bad. Um, At our work site, you know, our workloads had really increased to respond to the community. We started doing food boxes and And of course I was fatigued, I was really tired. Um, My muscles hurt, I was sore, but I was attributing this to, I'm lugging in thousands of pounds of food every day in the middle of summer with a mask. And I'm thinking, this is just summer fatigue. This is, it's hot, I'm I'm not young (laughs) anymore. This is just, it's not COVID. Um, But when my husband got the congestion, we said, you know what, we all need to get tested. So we quickly got tested. Um, We went into isolation and we were really surprised at how quick we got our results back and how my husband had tested positive. Um, One thing that I didn't mention was that our workplace, we were testing regularly. Once testing became readily available, we were going almost every two weeks. Um, Sometimes people felt that was really excessive, but for me, it wasn't just about am I positive at this moment? It was also about, can we trace, you know, where we got it from, how, when we think we, we contracted it so that we could also notify everyone. Um, once I became positive as well, um, you know, when we went into quarantine, excuse me, we went into quarantine, our agency implemented all of their policies and procedures. Um, we had our families tested, children tested, um, coworkers tested, and I, I can't reiterate enough how, how guilty I felt, knowing that I had been to work, that I could be the source of infecting children, vulnerable adults, um, knowing how many were being raised by grandparents, um, how many lived in multi-generational households. Um, given the, the population density of South Tucson, I knew it was a big deal. I tested positive, I was in this environment. Um, thankfully everyone was able to get tested. and and nobody else tested positive at our work site. And I attribute that solely to masks. Masks kept everybody protected in that environment. We followed those CDC guidelines, but it was ultimately the fact that we were masked up at all times, including our young children. Um, I kept hearing from everyone, okay, you're positive now, <laughs> prepare yourself. And, and I started to hear everyone say, it's the flu. It's gonna be like the flu. You're gonna be okay. And I had, some frame of reference, I've had the flu before. i survived it. I, I I, mentally prepared myself. I can do this. I can do the flu. And sure enough, every day we started a journal. My family and I, we would take our temperatures, write down our symptoms, write down what was going on, our oxygen levels, our blood pressure levels. Um, and we were just reporting really mild symptoms. We had headaches, muscle aches, fatigue. By day six, we were like, this is this is okay. I can do this. Maybe it's We've got it. Um, But then day seven, (laughs) day seven hit, and we started to feel tightness in our chest. Um, And that just started just this huge roller coaster of where um, my my lungs specifically took a really brutal hit. Um, It was really hard to keep breathing. Um, My energy level was zero. I lost my sense of taste. it made it really hard to eat and drink because everything tasted gross. I couldn't put anything in my mouth and I knew I needed the nutrients. Um, and then it just spiraled from there. We continue to um, to use telemed um, to get over-the-counter medicine brought in, um, constantly calling the doctor, getting prescription, getting inhalers, getting several rounds of steroids, um, getting cough medicine, um, and we were still testing positive for the virus. Um, within about week five, um, I think I finally tested negative. Um, but by then, I I was still pretty tired. I was pretty fatigued. Um, I definitely had developed asthma. Um, I really struggled to breathe to do smaller activities. Um, in my household, I was the healthy one. You know, my daughter had some issues with anemia, and she had to be hospitalized. My Husband was a diabetic, had high blood pressure. He was the high risk category. And for some reason, I got the sickest. They they see my daughter bounced back right away. She's young, she was pretty much healthy. She seemed to bounce back. My husband, he seemed to be okay. Um, I seemed to be the one that took the longest time to recover. Um, by week six, I was ready to go back to work or on paper I was <laughs> physically. Um, I did struggle, Um, my feet were swollen, my whole body was swollen. Um, I needed to sit down frequently. If I talk too much, if I talk too loud, if I, which which you have to do when you work with kids. um, I struggled, I I struggled to catch my breath. Um, Quite often I would have to sit down, I'd have to take breaks. I'd have to use my inhaler several times throughout the day. Um, But I started to feel maybe this is okay, I'm gonna get better. I'm, I'm week seven, I'm gonna get better week eight, um, my symptoms aren't improving very much. Um, The coughs had gone away. Um, And then like by week, no, sorry, by month two, the second month after, you know, I had contracted COVID, I started to develop other issues. I started to develop rashes um, throughout my body that were just so itchy and I could not stop. I I was prescribed um, topical creams, prescription creams, over-the-counter creams, and I couldn't quite get them away the asthma still continues to plague me the fatigue um, the muscle aches the joint aches are still there the headaches are still there Um, and now I'm looking at month four and I'm thinking when am I going to get better (laughs) you know and sure enough month four you know now I'm I'm looking at some issues related to my kidney you know my kidneys aren't functioning as as properly as they should so when when we talk about this is just the flu, gosh, you know I was I, I really believe that <laughs> I really believe that people said that and and I and I believe the literature that said you're going to be done in a few weeks. Um, and then I started looking online and I find I started finding more support groups of people that were reporting these problems to their doctors and saying, oh, you know it's going to go away. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. You're going to get better. Um, by the time I was done with with treating my virus and trying to survive it, Um, within that one month, I know I had spent about $500 on just doctor's visits, co-pays, medications, um, things that I needed at home like a humidifier. And I also was really fortunate um, that I was working and that I had a lot of vacation time um, logged up, that I was able to, um, to utilize so that I wasn't missing those paychecks either. And for me, I, I know I'm really lucky and I don't want this to turn into a woe is me story, but I really recognize that privilege that I have. You know, I am yeah. now privileged that I had a job and that I had a job that provided insurance and that good insurance and that they I was able to save money on a medical card to be able to access everything that I needed to treat myself. Um, and that I still have a job. Um, I have a job that I can sort of modify and, and slow down when I need to, um, and that I still have health insurance. And And I think it's so important to recognize that because I know so many families don't have that privilege. I know that they don't have those regular doctor visits, so they can't afford the $75 telemed visits, that they can't afford the medications. I know that my insurance at one point denied my asthma inhalers and I had to pay out of pocket for those. and you know, for me, that's what I really struggle with, is that yeah. I can see why so many people are not surviving, and and, and, what
0: I, and what your your story people are relating. I mean, people are making comments, basically saying that is that was my experience too. Because what happens is you hear people saying that they're asymptomatic, and I think what that means is that for some people that you're not in the hospital, but but you're right. still having symptoms that you might not be able to identify. So, Doctor Cullen, how rare is or how common is Gloria's story, where you have it and then you still have symptoms that linger weeks, months after the initial um, positive test?
1: Yeah. First, Gloria, thank you so much for your willingness to share what happened to you. So and important. I, I do. Right. It's really important that people realize it's not flu, and not only is it not the the but it's not the flu.
0: Can you move your mic up a little bit, Dr. Cullen? or Because it's oh, hard. There, there that's perfect. Yeah, thanks. Okay, good.
1: So, um, so Gloria's glorious story, the initial part of it's pretty typical. People get sick. They think they just have a little cold. Maybe they add a little sniffle. And then you went into this spiral, which is the thing that scares us the most about this disease. So we estimate that somewhere around 10% of people are what are now called long haulers. -hmm. Gloria is a long hauler. She has done this for months on end and she still is suffering consequences. Remember, COVID 19 has a large inflammatory component to it. So, a lot of what Gloria is describing is related to the activation of the inflammatory response in her body and her body saying, I'm going to keep you on this really high level. I'm going to make you tired. I'm going to do all these things. gonna potentially hurt your kidney, I'm gonna give you headaches, I'm gonna give you fatigue, and you're gonna work through this. That what we don't know is what happens to these long haulers, right? We've only had this we haven't had them even a year. So there's lots of lots of what we call cohorts, groups of people like Gloria talked about how remember Gloria, you talked about how you found groups on, on the law online that you could work with. And that's what people are hoping for that through the aggregation of people and us uh, following them over what I hate to say, but is what's probably years, Mm -hmm. we'll be able to see the long term. It doesn't mean that a certain segment of the population just gets a sniffle, because they do. There are people that only get a sniffle or say they don't get anything. We think everybody gets something, but they might not recognize it. They might recognize that I had a headache with two hours but glorious story should be concerning to
0: everyone. I really thank you so much for your work. Thank, you. thank you. I am, and I, and I think that what you say about the um, importance of appreciating that we have a network, like we have insurance, we have jobs, we have people that were looking out for us and offering, you know, do you need me to take food? Do you need me to do these things? And my concern is the people that don't have that network of, you know, or somewhere else to go and isolate. And so um, where can people turn, Dr. Cullen or Gloria, when, you know, they get that call from the Pima County Health Department or they get that positive test and know they have to go somewhere? Where where can they go for help from the county?
1: So, so I'll respond from the county and then I, I'd love to hear Gloria's perspective from the community. So from the yeah. county, what happens is our chief investigators and or our contact tracers. Do, um, care resource coordination so if you are contact this is and Gloria thank you so much for reminding us in June testing was not available your experience is very difficult so I'm going to talk about what it's like now not what it was like six months ago there right. were lots of problems but now there's care coordination care resource coordination we do that um Chicano Casa is helping us do part of that in the county through some work with the state as well as IRC, the International Rescue Committee, as well as our staff, mm-hmm. our, our REACH staff, our racial equity staff. People run through a series of questions and ask people what they need to have access to. Now, it is clear that we did not be everyone's needs, especially if they're related to fiscal resources. But we do try right. to get people in touch with and provide them what they need to have.
0: Yeah. And so one of the resources that was helpful that I've heard about is 211, like instead of 911, calling 211 and they have, you know, it goes to it really I think ideal created for mental health services, but I now there're other you know, if you have emergency housing needs or food um rental assistance, that kind of thing. 211 is something that I've heard is working. Gloria, do, do you know of anything else that we can share with people?
2: Right, definitely, you know, the, the contact tracers with Pima County definitely were a major lifeline. While I, I, I can't reiterate my privilege that I had. of I had a network of support and I was able to get care. You know, I couldn't stop asking the questions when they called, <laughs> like, okay, well, I'm okay, but what if someone needs food? I, I wanted to know, what do you know? <laughs> do you have the right resources to send other people? So I know that they are very well-trained and very well-versed in connecting people with food um, connecting them with resources and you know the bigger things that they need like you've mentioned are the financial resources you know that's something that they just can't do um, giving them a safe place to quarantine that's something that they can't do but they were very vital in providing excellent knowledge in how to quarantine within your house um, how to keep journals how to um, keep track of your symptoms how to get resources and you know we've been really fortunate in South Tucson that we've always been surrounded by great people that always want to help. So there's some great organizations um, that are willing to deliver food um, to people. And you know we also started a small network of these people that are you know like me that are no longer positive, but you know we've gone through the antibody testing and we know that we have a a, a certain amount of antibodies which. I only trust a little bit, (laughs) but but I know that I can also go and I can go visit someone who may be experiencing that. And I can go drop them off because the likelihood of me getting infected is is really low. And and I don't say foolproof. I say low Um, because I know that even though I have this immunity, um, I I feel that my body's defense system um, is really low. Uh, I just feel that my body can't even handle a sneeze. I mean, maybe I can fight off the virus, but I don't know if I can handle a regular cold or a stomach bug that's going out there just because my body's still trying to to fight off these other issues that are going on. But definitely Pima County's
0: done an excellent job with the
2: contact tracers.
0: Yeah. Um, we had a question from Paul Loveless um, with the numbers so high and hospitals at capacity, do you think employers should do everything possible to allow employees who can work remotely to do so? I would say yes. <laughs> I'm going to go with yes. Um, I am. I was concerned that with depending on what your job is, you know, some people are not able to. And I understand that from Tucson Unified, there, you know, people that are working food service or custodial staff. I mean, unfortunately, it tends to be the people that make the least in organizations that are the ones that are the frontline people that are, you need there to, you know, clean and disinfect and do things. But are we doing everything we can as a community, not just Pima County or the city, but as a community to encourage people to stay home and really reduce the numbers that are inside, you know, office buildings?
2: Well, you know, I, I, I wholeheartedly agree. I think employers should be doing more. I think we need to look at systematic ways that we can reduce services, um, especially when it comes to the South and the West side of town, because we know that makes up the bulk of our essential workers um, that have been the ones keeping this economy and this community going um, by keeping those supermarkets open, hospitals open, all of that. And they are the ones that aren't getting that time off and they're the ones that are coming back to our community. But for me, my biggest concern is really, you know, how are we gonna support all of these families and and you know i know i mentioned i'm maybe a few a percentage of those long haulers but i'm also concerned does pima county um have you started looking at that infrastructure of how are we going to treat all of these people um, in a meeting i had last week with um supervisor Viega she mentioned she, she's comparing this to the tce contamination where we needed to have clinics on the south side you know, do we need to start looking and creating that system so that we can start treating um, families and all, especially on the south and the west side of town?
0: Yeah. So
1: um, let me, I, let me respond to that. So we are working with the university. There is a long term study going on with them related to people that are positive, And it has two components. One is first responders, including healthcare workers that are positive. And the reason for that is that it was really uh, pretty easy to enroll those people and be able to do multiple tests throughout and follow them. And then we are working with them to ensure that there is a way to at least evaluate the data. You know, the data right now is is a problem, right? Like it, mm-hmm. it's all over and Kima mm-hmm. County isn't, uh, to be frank, it's not like we're collecting a lot of that data for the long term. So I, I think that that's a great, uh, suggestion and I'll take it back from this fall to figure out what we should be putting in place so that we can do some long um, follow up. There's no reason to think, I, I hate to say this, but there's no reason to think that the long term, the long haulers um, aren't going to have at least some kind of consequence for at least a longer period of time.
0: Mm-hmm. So yeah. So it is important that we. And so um, I, I I tested positive on Wednesday. Um, I've been testing every two days, like every two or three days about. And so I tested last Monday. It was negative. Last Thursday was negative. This Monday, the 7th was negative, And then the ninth was positive. And so I was able to quickly isolate. I received a call from the Pima County Health Department before I received the information from labs but um, I'm right now you know it's one of those things where I think the fear of oh my gosh what's coming that I'm you know not sleeping well all of those things that happen and then you have to worry about who did I expose and so I appreciate that I have a place that I can go that no one else is here and I'm able to safely um, kind of stay away from people but how, how long should someone like me that was I, it was identified on Wednesday, how long should I stay isolated? What does it mean to you to be isolated? Because I know some people are like, I stayed in my room. I, you know, we share the same bathroom. I mean, that's not isolated. So, um, just to kind of go over some of those things for people who might be in a similar situation, or you know, have to maybe mentally prepare for if that, you know, they are testing positive.
1: Yeah, I'd love to. I definitely want to wanna explain the difference now with quarantine. So isolate your positive. That's when you isolate. Ten days. Um, we we would work with you, Adelita, and figure out when your symptoms started. Sounds like maybe you didn't even have symptoms. So ten days from the test date, isolation truly means isolation. It means you're in a room. You're not sharing things with anybody. If you can do that, and you know that as as was talked about, that's really difficult to do. It's pretty presumptuous on our part that people are going to be able to do that, especially if they live in, in a household. So we know it can't always be done. But if it can't be done, wear masks, wash your hands, stay away from other people as much as you can, do not use anything that other people are using. Glasses, dishes, toothbrushes, anything like that. Ideally, you really do make a little cocoon around yourself and mm-hmm. you take care of yourself. Um, and then for people that are your contacts, which would be, say you live in a household, you've tested positive. Now, everyone in that, if you're living in a household, the assumption is that they're all your contacts. They need to quarantine. And now it's for 14 days. We, I mean, for seven days. It used to be 14 days. We've actually dropped that to seven days, assuming that you can test need to be able to test on day five so your contacts are people that you have been around um, up till and including the day you got your test back because you didn't know you were a case right that you were probably doing whatever you were normally doing um which is what everybody does so, so then for seven days those people need to quarantine quarantining is just like isolation it just has a different word to it because they're not sick so they're quarantining they're separating themselves from everybody else that is the only way, I think we should be really frank on this. It's the only way we are going to stop this pandemic. Today we had over 1,200 cases reported again. We, that Pima County Health Department cannot Sorry. stop the people in the community, have to be willing and hopefully able. And I, I don't want to minimize because we know that there are certain cases where this did not happen. So we,
0: so right. And so, what are some of the things that people should be taking? I know when my father had it, I looked up, you know, did all this research on vitamins, and it was zinc, vitamin C, um, D3. And these are things that people were recommending, like just to build up, like just, you know, make sure you take vitamin C. What are some other things that people can be doing now, um, you know, just kind of pre- just trying to get themselves prepared? If, yeah. And you know, and the the sad thing is, is so many people have it. I didn't change any of my behavior. I've been wearing gloves and having double masks, and you know, minimizing doing things. And I didn't change any of that, and I still got it. And so my thought is, is it's just, I'm there's more people positive, and you know, it's around more. But what are some other things that we all can be doing?
1: Yeah. So, so let me just comment on that. You know, we've been really struggling with why we're seeing this increase because lots of the community is doing everything right. But what we know is you've probably heard that that concept of super spreader events. So what I think is there's not really super spreader events. There's there's individuals that have a high viral load. So they are sicker with the disease than others. And Gloria, you may have been one of those given how you were describing how. How sick you thought and we believe that people that have a higher viral load are more likely to spread it and remember it's respiratory just all you need is a mask that doesn't fit exactly right or you take it off to drink something around somebody and they've been in the air you're in now you get it um in terms of what to do oh that is such a great question and just this morning i relooked at new guidance. Um, You know, there's not a lot of guidance. You basically shut all of it. Zinc, vitamin D. Some people say vitamin D. What we know is Tylenol or Motrin. Lots of breath, breath, breath. Um, And the other thing is I want to remind people, you know, the emergency rooms are full. But if you are sick and you cannot breathe, it is hard for you to speak a sentence. So you can speak, but the most you can speak is two words before you Mm -hmm. feel like you have to take a deep breath or while you're breathing, your lung, your chest is sucking in because you can't get your air. Please, please get care in the emergency room for the emergency care or call your doctor and get a value. Yeah.
2: And in in addition to Dr. Cullen's advice, I also really want to touch on the mental health. Portion of it. You know, for me, initially, I thought the guilt is going to kill me before this virus because the thought of, of infecting so many people, it, it was scary. It, it was a scary thing to live with. Um, and, and I know that I was fortunate that those that were in my vicinity didn't get it. But I know that there were others that that have, that they've infected their, their family members, their parents, their people that they love. Um, I think that mental health aspect is so important. Um, one of the other symptoms that I had experienced with, you know, I, I didn't want to post it on Facebook. I didn't want to share it on social media because my family was still reeling from a loss that I didn't want them to be worried. I didn't want them to be scared. I didn't, I, and I also didn't want them texting me because I was so tired and I couldn't respond to everybody. And, mm-hmm. and I would so feel guilty about that. So I just, I wanted to just deal with it myself. You know, and and I think that attitude didn't help. It didn't work for me because at one point I recall suffering a, a really horrible panic attack where you know I just I had never had one in my whole life, and I thought, oh my God, I'm having a heart attack, and mm-hmm. and it turns out no, it's it's a panic attack. This is what what you're going through because of the stress. So I, I really do think that opening up, sharing more, talking about it, creating a system, not feeling guilty. Um, Understanding, Um you know, I was really lucky that my family was really good at reassuring me that like, if you got us sick, it's okay, you didn't mean to, <laughs> and and those were words I needed to hear. I needed to hear because it was it was literally me on the inside. So, the I feel is a, horrible. it's horrible. It really
0: is a deal, you know. Yeah. Um. So, what are what are thing what are some um things that we can do as a community besides masking? Um, having conversations like this, I think really encouraging other people to talk about this stuff is important because I think so many people think, well, it's because you were unsafe. Well, it's because you did X, y, and Z. It's like I could have gone to Walgreens for a necessary medical, you know, supply or medicine or whatever and caught it there. and and the scary thing is that, you know, you hear about so many people having it. and and honestly, if I wasn't testing, on a regular basis just because I do have to go into work. I am in a sense, I mean, I've had to work this entire time. We got we got through a whole campaign, no one ever got sick. And then the irony is that both Andres and I, right after the campaign, I'm like, we are now we're around less people than we used to be. So what is going on here? Um, but I think that that's the worry is like, so what else can we do besides the things that we're doing now to keep ourselves safe and wear masks that fit really well, wash our hands really well. Um, what I was hearing from you is, Dr. Cullen and other press conferences is like, try to just stay home, like get out of the roads. And the sad part is, is anytime I, I've gone out, it's other than ever. occasional people wearing masks under their nose and stuff, it doesn't look like a lot of behaviors have changed.
1: Right. It's really, at this point, you know, we talk about our toolbox or the tool, I call it my tool bag, not on the toolbox. But the tool bag's pretty limited, right? Wear, wash, wait. Um, I, did, I did want to tell people that that last wait, uh, I did a veteran webinar last week, and one of the veterans said it's really wingspan. So put your arms out and see how far they go. That's how far you need to be apart from people. But it really is staying home at this point. We really are encouraging everyone who can stay home to stay home, to not go out for anything except essentials if you are over 65 and or at high risk. You definitely should try to use other resources to bring you in what you need to get. And Adelita, I think it's because it's ubiquitous. It is everywhere out there. Um, I just had a discussion with someone earlier today about what happened with them. And I said, you know, you could do everything right. You could do everything right and you can still contact the virus right now. Because remember, it's in the air. All you have to do is take a mask out for a second. All you have to do is both to a public restroom, right? So you just, people just need to stay home as much as they are able. And, you know, our responsibility, I think, as Tony is to make sure we educate people that we hopefully can help ensure they have the resources.
0: Really yeah, and well, I'm, I'm so happy my soon-to-be colleague, um, Supervisor-Elect Dr. Matt Hines is able to join us. I know he's really busy. Um, but he has been an attending physician at TMC since 2003. And um, oh, we had a connection, so he'll come back. But um, and then he's treating patients with a range of diagnoses from heart attacks, head trauma, chronic conditions. Um, but he's also really has a lot of information about COVID. And so I'm hoping that this is him again and that he can talk about what it's like for a frontline person. Hello, Matt. How are you? Can you hear me okay? Oh.
3: Hi there. Thanks.
0: Oh, almost. He'll come back. <laughs> this is why we try to have a dry run early. It doesn't always work out that way. Um, but, I, you know, he's working, so it is what it is. Hello, sir. How are you? Can you hear me okay? Is it working now? It's, well, I can hear you. It's not necessarily connecting with your mouth, yeah. but that's okay. We, as long as you get the information out there. So can you talk to us a little bit? Thank you for coming and, and chatting with us. We're really talking about COVID in our community and I'm joined by Dr. Cullen and Gloria Ameth Lopez. And we just want to, for you to have an opportunity to share what your experiences are as a frontline worker. Like what are you seeing every day?
3: Sure, and I appreciate the opportunity. Um, you know, it's really in the emergency department uh, where I admit patients to the hospital. It's, I mean, it's just, it's packed. There's a lot, a lot more respiratory cases, these types of viral illnesses, or likely COVID coming in than we would only see, even though this is starting to get into our flu season. So, um, a lot of folks that are very, very sick. And uh, if you, if, a lot of people taking up ICU beds, any of them, um, in fact, most of them from, from COVID-19. And I just, to explain a little bit about why the hospitals are having trouble and why they start to get filled up, it's because, um, for an example, if you have an open heart surgery, you're in the hospital and ICU for maybe four or five days. But a lot of patients with COVID-19 need to be there 18, 20, 21 days or more. And so if you think yeah. about that there's just limited limited spaces to people. And um, when you have that many of those critical care beds getting occupied for so many days and weeks, it's hard to find room for heart attacks or for severe strokes or for, um, in the case of uh, the Banner system, traumatic injuries uh, from a car accident. So that's why the hospitals have been um, you know, talking a lot, I'm almost like crying out at this point that we're really, you know, things are really packed, and we need to do what we can, as I know, I heard from Dr. Cullen, uh, everything we can do stay away, don't travel from each other, don't travel, put on masks. And, um, you know, non-cohorted families should not get together, meaning if you're already staying with, you know, your spouse, kid, that's fine. But, like, you shouldn't merge that group with, say, a neighbor who has four or five members of their family if they are not already in contact with them on a regular basis because that those little meetings actually spread COVID a lot.
0: Yeah, so what we saw, I know that um, Gloria and I were talking about it before we started, what we saw at Thanksgiving is that a lot of the behavior stayed very similar. We saw a lot of cars driving up to people's homes, um, a lot of people coming in and basically having Thanksgiving kind of as usual. And so for families that Really, are insisting um, of getting together? What are some safe things that they can do if the goal is we want to spend Christmas together? What, aside from not doing it, what are some what are some guidelines that we can give people?
3: I think just whatever to do, you're getting together as a family, some other uh, family there you know, normally live with which again not a good um do it outside stay outside masks as much social distancing as possible but absolutely stay outside for everything um nobody should be inside um uh, all try to avoid the use of public bathrooms that's not great uh just there's just you know, and we and we really we saw a lot of travel in November I mean in in the Thanksgiving holiday the TSA reported the highest number of people traveling through the airports uh, that we've seen since March so I suspect we may end a similar situation uh, like you're saying um, maybe for you know the Christmas season later this year and then we'll end up with a surge with the Thanksgiving holiday surge we're just now starting to see those patients plus potentially a Christmas holiday travel surge uh, two to three weeks after after the first of the year, so it's it's um, not not a good time for the hospitals over the next couple of months, which is really bad for the community because then we're not. Um,
0: th- thank you. So, Dr. Cullen, what are what kind of support does the Pima County Health Department need right now in order to effectively respond to COVID? Um, you know, guidelines and trying to encourage employers to have more people working from home. What are, what are some things, I mean, I know Tucson Unified is not gonna reopen schools um, because of, you know, and I we appreciate that recommendation as well. So what are some things that we can do?
1: I, I think um, there's a few things that people can do. The one is stay at home. If you have any opportunity to stay at home, stay at home. if you are going to socially gather, and I, I keep reminded people, you know, we're, we're humans and people want, social interaction and social contact. this isn't to you know demean people that want that, but it's to remind them it is not safe right now. Even if you are okay, your grandma may not be okay or your father or your mother. So if you are gonna go anywhere, make sure you have a mask and a mask over your nose and your mouth and that knows us really well. But you know, don't use a bandana. Make sure you have a mask that covers your mouth and stay home. And then the other thing is you may be aware, last Friday we put in place guidance for businesses to tell us if they have a case. And the reason why we want to know that is not because we are going to report it to anybody. It's because we want to assist businesses. We want to be able to come in and say, let us look at what you're doing. Let us see if there's ways we can help you mitigate the spread in your business. So if you are an employee and you're working for a business, we would actually recommend that that business just get a hold of us. We don't share that information with anybody, but it's really so that we can do education and do appropriate intervention. What we know is that most of the time, when people know what to do, and they have the option to do it, which is not always the case for everyone, but they will choose to do the right thing.
0: Yeah. So I know that um, Matt and I both represent, you know, di- we're going to supervisor elects for District 2 and 5, which are the two districts that are hardest hit, I think, based on the census data. So what is it that we can do um, to support the Pima County Health Department in setting more guidelines? Because I've, you know, you're looking around the country and even around other counties, there's some other counties that are enforcing some pretty strict guidelines that we haven't. And you know, the same with the state of Arizona, we haven't done some things that other states are doing. So what is it if you could wave a magic wand? What are some things that we could do um, as a community to really just shut things down?
1: Yeah, I, I think, you know, we've, we've tried to do um, a lot of things in the past couple weeks. One was you'll remember we put in a voluntary curfew from 10 at night till 5 in the morning. Um, the mayor followed with a non-voluntary curfew from 10 to 5 for the city. So if organizations and businesses and even households would know that please don't see out between 10 and 5, that would be really helpful. We also know that there are certain social situations that put people more at risk for transmissions. Um, situations where there is drinking or um, increasing social mobility within a, within a group of people so those are the kind of things we would ask that people also try to avoid um, but within the public health advisory we've listed about five different things that we about but listed five different things that we wanted people to um, abide by and the other thing we've been trying to do and i think it is really Ideally, what we want is people to make the right decisions, right? But it's, not, uh, it's not an enforcement. It's that because they know the impact of their activity, they will choose to make the right thing. So this overall, you will recall with the university, we did a voluntary shelter in place, and we stopped. We literally stopped that accelerated. Uh, we need people to not leave, to stay home.
0: Yeah, and so one of the questions, thank you, Dr. Colin. One of the questions that Richard had is, can you eat food prepared by others?
1: Um, yeah, yeah, there shouldn't be any, especially with the, the issue is how do you get that food, right? Um, if yeah. you're talking about a family member, you got to get that food in a way that doesn't create a social situation for you. But we know the Salvation Army on Thanksgiving, we actually worked with them closely and approved the distribution of dinners that they did through a walk-through or a drive-through situation. That was prepared by the Salvation Army. We felt very comfortable with what they did. We expected to be a similar situation around Christmas. So,
0: Food prepared by others in and of
2: itself shouldn't be okay. Thank you. And I think also about you know the the need for that self responsibility to mask up during the holiday season. I think it's so critical for people to really understand that you're probably more likely to get it from somebody you love than from a complete stranger or at the supermarket because you know you come home. You lock your door, you think you're safe, and you rip off that mask. And for us, our contract tracing led us to um my husband, he got it from his mom. <laughs> you know, he thought, mom's never gonna hurt me. I'm not gonna get it. And and mom got it from her other son who was working and was around a lot of people that were not complying with their masks. So I think it's really critical to understand that and, and to recognize that comfort level that we have or where we think. I wouldn't give it to them, they wouldn't give it to me. This isn't a choice, it happens, and right. it happens when you take off that mask. And I know that people are, are really experiencing this COVID fatigue. Um, and for especially for the Mexican culture, you know, these are sacred times, you know. This is when, like, today is Dia de las Virgencitas and and we traditionally would be in church and we're making tamales and we want to be around our family. And these are holy obligation days. And when it comes also to just your responsibility, you have to wear a mask, especially around your family. But I also you know, want to put a call out there to some of the churches that are still open at this time. We know that these are holy days. We know that there is obligations. But it, it frightens me when I drive around and I see churches that that are allowing people to come into their facility that are still holding mass. And and it scares me when I think of, you know, the priests locally that have already contracted this virus. Um, you know, it, it, I also look at some of these very well-intentioned, generous people that wanna do toy drives for kids, that wanna support our families that are in need. And, and they need it, I get it, they need it, but you know, they're not changing the, the way that they do it. Frightens me. Frightens yeah. me the fact that you're going to have a toy drive and kids are going to come in and you know they're they're low income and 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 I always go back to that privilege I had where I was able to survive and I know that others don't have that so it's it's still a lot more education that we need to do for our community.
0: I, I agree and I think that outreach in Spanish and other languages our refugee communities are also experienced. I mean I pass by a lot of um, churches of different nationalities and and religions and um, they're all packed too. So it's not, you know, I, and one of the things that I, I keep saying is when we were growing up, it's a big thing where, like, you know, when you walk into the house, you're like, well, besaluda tu nana, besaluda todos, give besitos to everyone. And now everyone's like, here's an elbow. Like, I don't think I hugged my dad in months, months, because it's like, we like do a foot or an elbow. And, you know, um, but I think that it's, it's awkward and uncomfortable, especially for people who like, I raised my kids so like, you go say hi to everyone, you say bye to everyone. And now we're like, from the door, like, see you guys, we're not even gonna walk in the house. Um, But I think that, you know, one of the things that is difficult is trying to think about holidays without your family. Um, The last time my entire family was together was my Nana's funeral. And literally the next week we were all shut down. And so it just was like a tiny window. So we're all trying to deal with loss. And like, you, Gloria, you're talking about it too, you know, the more I look at people, like on social media, it's like, you know, there's all these pictures and tributes to people who have passed away because of COVID mostly. And, um, you know, we can't honor those people. We can't honor our friend Richard Elias. Um, And I just think that that makes it very, very difficult because you continue to, there's no, um, there's no opportunity to celebrate a life and no opportunity to mourn together and support each other. So trying to come up with creative ways to do things that are informative, I think are um, is something that we have to continue to do because otherwise, um, you know, until everyone has the opportunity to get vaccinated. And Dr. Cullen, maybe you can talk a little bit about that. Like what, when do we anticipate vaccines being available in Pima County, who might those go to first and when just kind of like testing, like when do we foresee it being something that, you know, the masses can access?
1: Yeah, so um, we do expect that we will have vaccines in the community December 17th. That's our hope. Next week, the governor um, has indicated that, that a nurse working with him will be the first person in the state to get kind immunization. It will be that day, supposedly.
0: So on the 17th, the nurse will get it. I'm, I'm having a hard time hearing you, so that's why I'm not clarifying. Yeah,
1: on the 17th, the nurse in right. Phoenix will get it. And then we have worked with UMC and TMC. The very first shots will be given to healthcare workers who are high risk, healthcare workers that are working with COVID positive patients. The first uh, series of shots, uh, immunizations will get, will not be enough to even cover our healthcare workers. But we do anticipate continuing to get immunization availability over the next few months in terms of general populace availability, most of us, and remember these are really just speculative, most of us are thinking that will be late spring. Um, And the reason for that is remember the only uh, vaccine approved right now is Pfizer. Modena is supposed to get approved um, sometime the 17th or the 18th, but until there is more than a few vaccines approved, it will be difficult to have enough vaccination. The other group that's first Yep. Is long-term care and assisted living because of the mortality okay. we have seen the death rate in that. So those healthcare workers working with COVID, and then healthcare workers in general, including pre-hospital, EMS, um, and then long-term care workers will be the first ones to have access to that.
0: Um, do you foresee any more pop-up sites um, in specifically like South Tucson, West, and Southside? Because I think one of the the one of the things preventing people from registering is the whole online process. For some people, they just don't have access. And so when we have the pop-up sites where people can actually assemble, even if they stand in a super long line, like I know, you know, I think that that would be really helpful specifically for the communities that, you know, Gloria and I live in, that it's important for us to be able to, to give people an easier way to get tested. Cause right now, you know, you go, you open up, one of let's say kino for example and they're you know the next date available is monday or maybe tuesday and it's not in a convenient time well that person who really wants to test probably won't because it's not convenient so um any ideas for that
1: yeah we are, we are continuing to open more and more pop-up sites on average we are um or you're saying adelita is so true when we open a pop-up site we get 250, 350, 400 mm-hmm. people. And so we've extended the hours of some of them, but just on Friday, I talked with Eric Smith, who's helping lead that initiative, and we do expect to see more pop up available, especially in the next couple of weeks.
0: Great. Um. So we only have a couple minutes left. Gloria, is there anything else that you wanted to say or add um, before we sign off?
2: Well, just as a parent, I, I really wanted, you know, to address our parents. You know, we know that our kids have been suffering. Um, We're aware of how isolated they have been, and I know that so many parents feel that they have to overdo this Christmas. Um, You don't have to go out to the store. I can guarantee you from working with children, you know, the risks of you contracting the virus out there. Um, Kids would rather have a parent alive than have an Xbox. Um, I know that from my experience with my family, they would give anything. They would give their cars, they would give their money back just to have them back in their life. you know we have a vaccine coming. It's around the corner. You know they're they're starting. We're starting to see a light at the end of the tunnel. I, I we realize the COVID fatigue is real. It is real. But hold on, hold on. Stay safe. Mask up.
0: Thank you, Gloria. We can have Christmas in July. We can do that. Well, I want to thank you both. I want to thank um, Dr. Matt Hines who had some connectivity issues and I know was really busy um, popping in and out of different meetings. Dr. Cullen, I know that you've been very busy trying to be everywhere at all times. So I very much appreciate it. And Gloria, thank you so much for your bravery and telling your story and really being such a strong advocate for our community. South Tucson is very lucky to have you. Um, I want to thank all of you who joined us, and those of you who might watch this later. I'm very appreciative of your time. Thank you so much. And yes, Richard, we will do more things in Spanish. Porque es muy importante tener estas pláticas en español también. Thank you very much. You. Stay safe, everyone. Mask up. Thank you. Thank you.